All right, let's read it and then I'll pray. Mark 7, 24 to 37 says this. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children... uh, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into it, fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged him to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we're so grateful for uh, your word. It's faithfulness to challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us. And we just pray for this time in your word this morning that uh, you would speak to our hearts. Um, yeah, give us a heart that's like yours, God. Um, you have unconditional, unending love for uh, the world. You don't. You see past all the divisions that we have in this life to the heart of the matter. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would give us the same heart, the heart of a Savior who's come for all people and is calling all people into himself, and that we would just respond. God, we pray uh, that this world would respond to Jesus and his call to follow him. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray that you be exalted in it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Uh, anyone like to travel by car? Travel by car? Drive to somewhere? You go like a long trip? You like to drive instead of fly? Like prefer driving over flying? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? I, yeah, Sandy, I, I agree. I do. I like to drive. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> whether you're driving or flying, the, you know, travel is just, it's fun. You know, it's just such a fun time. Um, and when you get in, the night you get in, do you want to like go hang out and do stuff? Yeah? Oh, Sandy is, yes. She's ready to go. He's ready to get there and go and do all the things. Okay, Sandy is an outlier. We know this. It's fine. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but the fact is, like, when you usually when you travel, you get somewhere and you're like, man, I'm, I just want to say hi to the people that are hosting me. I want to, or if I'm staying at a hotel, I want to figure out where the ice tray is so I can get ice in my room. I need to figure these things out and then get myself to bed. Like, I want to go to sleep after a long day of travel. It's not usually a time when you schedule a bunch of things going on. Um, and so when I'm reading through this passage and thinking about Jesus, I'm, I'm thinking about him because what we're going to see throughout today is that he travels a lot. Like this, this two paragraphs of time actually represents like 150 miles of travel, okay? Uh, so he's moving from place to place to place, and it seems very quick in our minds because we have no concept of the geography of, of Israel, and I don't at least, um, and, and it just goes from one thing to another. But he is taking a walk, man. Like he is taking a long walk. So... Um, we find him now in verse 24, it says, from there, that is from uh, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, 
uh, he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now, you might have realized that uh, for a while now, Jesus has been trying to get away, okay, like with his disciples. Like, remember back to the feeding of the 5,000, okay? The, the apostles, the disciples had gone out and done ministry on behalf of Jesus' name. They felt really excited about it, but they were also exhausted. And Jesus said, let's get away to a desolate place. They get away to a desolate place, and all of a sudden, they got 5,000 men and their families hanging out wanting to have more ministry happen to them, <laughs> And so the rest from what they were doing is not coming. And so Jesus now is not only facing crowds and people coming after him, uh, wanting to have like a miracle or wanting to see what's happening, see the show, sort so to speak, or hear from him or, or sit and, and listen, uh, but he's also getting this strong amount of opposition. So like last week, we saw the Pharisees have come up from Jerusalem again, and they're attacking him about their purity following or whatever, right? So Jesus at this point like has gone through this very uh, intense kind of conversation with the Pharisees, rebuking them for their uh, washing of the outside of the cup and not caring of the inside of the cup, like we looked at last week. And he is getting away, okay? It literally says, he did not want anyone to know that he had arrived in Tyre yet. He's not looking to talk to anybody. He's wanting to get into his uh, house that they have found to stay in and go to sleep, right? That's what he's wanting to do. Wake up in the morning and then whatever comes. Um, But immediately... (laughs) You know, but immediately, Mark, all the time, um, is, is with this. Um, so if you could move up, uh, move up the slide here to verse uh, the, yeah, one more. Keep going. Sorry. Keep going. One more. Okay, here we go. All right. Um, Jesus has come up from here, Capernaum, where they were. This orange line is the, is the travel we're looking at, okay? He goes all the way up to Tyre and to Sidon. Um, the, whole, the whole scope of this passage is like 150 miles of walking, okay? So like from here, up to here, and up here, and then back down here, and then down to this side, is which we're, which we're going to cover. It's like 150 miles of walking, tons and tons of walking. Um, and, and so they're going up to this region of, uh, of Tyre. When he gets there, he just wants to, you know, settle in and be with his disciples, um, get away and kind of, you know, lead them and follow, you know, teach them some uh, separately from the crowds. Um, that said, he goes to this region, Tyre, okay? This place, Josephus calls this place notoriously our bitterest enemies, okay? He has left the, you know, the confines of Judaism near the Sea of Galilee and, and uh, of Israel and gone to an expressly Gentile uh, place, uh, a place that is considered the enemies of Israel, Okay? And so he's trying to get in there. Kind of, I don't know what his plan is exactly, but he goes in and wants to be not seen. Um, but immediately, this woman comes. Uh, verse 25, if you want to move forward. Um, immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Somehow, word gets out that Jesus and his disciples, right? I mean, word has been traveling, just like word traveled about John the Baptist across the, uh, across the Mediterranean. The same thing has happened with Jesus. Word has spread across the region. And so when his disciples come, someone, whatever, someone sees him, right? We don't have the record of this, but like someone must have seen him. She heard somehow through the grapevine that Jesus and his disciples came in, and she knew enough that this man is a miracle worker. This man could change my daughter's life. My daughter is here tormented by a spirit that is evil, and I need someone to help me. And Jesus could be it. 
So as soon as he, she hears that he's coming in town, she goes to him and says, uh, you know, begs him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Um, so we see him do this, and then uh, his response to her begging, her, begging of him to, uh, to cast out this demon is, is in verse 27. You're going to skip, I think, this verse real quick. I might come back to it in a minute. Um, Mark 7, 27, it says this. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And Mark has touched on this a little bit during, uh, during worship, but like, I know many of you, we talked about it again on Thursday, like, are caught back by that. Like, what the heck? Like, dogs? Like, what is this? Jesus. Like, um, this woman comes to him and says, hey, my, my, my daughter is possessed by a demon. Please come cast her out, cast this demon out. And Jesus responds to her with uh, actually the sh- a shorter parable than last week. Okay, I said last week was the shortest parable. This is actually shorter than last week's parable. Okay, this is a parable that he speaks to her. She sa- he says, in response to her request, he says, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's a parable. Um, a couple things need to be said. Obviously, like, associating with a woman with, the, with a dog is not, you know, a, a great association in your mind. Like, that picture is not good, regardless of how you slice it. So we need to deal with this a little bit because uh, there are two terms for dog, okay? There's a term called kion, which is a street dog, and there's a term called uh, canarion, which is a small dog or a house pet, Okay. So there is a distinction. This doesn't make it better so much that it's a dog in the comparison. Uh, however, um, he is talking about not the mangy, mangrily street dog, but a house pet that is at a table. So you know, rewind back and think, okay, this is the parable he is speaking to her. She understands the parable. We think of this and look at this and go, Jesus, that's a pretty offensive thing to say that this girl is a dog. But remember, she actually puts herself into the parable. She doesn't take offense at the parable. She actually takes on the parable, understands it, and responds to Jesus appropriately. So, you know, the idea that she's being referred to as a house pet, not fun, but she knows enough to say, he's not saying, woman, you're a dog, as like a cut down. He's just saying the reality of the perspective of Israel versus Gentile, and especially Israel versus the region of Tyre and Sidon, y'all are dogs to us. Okay? God has given to Israel, and he's not giving to you. He's giving to us. So um, this, she actually sees this, understands that, okay, that's the perspective of the God of Israel, of what they're, what they're, what they're believing in and walking in, and responds to him rightly. She actually does not take offense at what is said, but rather says this in verse 28, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I understand what you are communicating to me. I understand that you're first going to Israel and then going to the nations. She doesn't say it that way, but that's how Paul puts it later, right? The gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Salvation comes to the Jews and then it goes to the Gentiles. There's a progression of God fulfilling his promises to the people of Israel and then expanding that in his messianic form to all the nations. Israel at the time didn't get that. They had a perspective that, that the Messiah was going to come and set up Israel as this powerful nation and, and overthrow politically. Jesus has a different thing going on than what they expect. We know that part, okay? So she says, yes, Lord, I understand that your food is first for Israel 
And then, you know, I should give first to Israel, right? And she, she responds to him this way. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She inserts herself into the parable and says, you know what? I don't need bread. I don't, I don't need a piece of bread. All I need is the crumbs of what you are giving, and that's all I need. Think about that. She doesn't take offense at what Jesus says. She understands Jesus talking in a parable in their political context and saying, I get it. But even the dogs can eat the crumbs of your bread, and it will be enough for me. Think about that. Her daughter is possessed by a demon at home. She's coming to this man who she thinks can save her daughter from this and says, all I need is a crumb from you, and my daughter will be saved. That's some great faith. She's the first, and I think only, uh, that, that I understand, uh, that has heard a parable of Jesus, Jesus speak a parable, and respond to him. Okay? Think of all the parables that are spoken. Every time a parable is spoken, Jesus is like, such and such, blah, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying, goodbye. Right? It's literally like every parable, they're all just confused. They're like, what did he say? What does that mean? You're throwing seed on the road. Why would you do that? What a dumb sower. Why is he throwing seeds on the road? Right? They're confused by his parables every time. And the disciples, every single time, come back to Jesus and go, what's the meaning of the parable of the sower, Jesus? I don't understand. And he's frustrated, right? Every single time he's like, oh, this generation, why don't you get it? Why don't you understand what I'm trying to say to you? But this woman, she gets it immediately. Jesus says, this is the parable. The children must eat first. I'm not giving it to the dogs. And she says, yeah, 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 I get it. But I'll just take a crumb. Wow. That's cool. Jesus' response to her, verse 29, says, And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. This woman who's just looking for an answer for her daughter, okay, who is an enemy of the Jews, who probably shouldn't be, you know, coming to Jesus when he just got in from town on his walk to Tyre, right? Like, all these things don't really add up for what ought to be happening this night, right? But she comes to him immediately when he gets there and goes, I need your help. And Jesus responds with parable, and she says, I get it, I understand, but I just need a crumb. That's all I need from you. Your power is so great, I just need the leftovers. This is great faith from what would be understood in their context of as an enemy of Israel. All right, so that's one story for today. Second story for today is the healing of the deaf and mute man. And we're going to go back to the, I think I've got the map again. Yeah, map. Okay. So he got as far as Tyre, all right? And we, we actually don't know what happens in Sidon. We have no idea, okay? But we know he goes to Sidon straight up the coast and then comes straight back down and over to Caesarea Philippi, and then down over back to uh, Bethsaida, okay? So we, we don't know why he go Maybe he just wanted to take a stroll along the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, I would guess that a stroll on the Mediterranean Sea is beautiful, right? So 
you know, maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. We don't really know. But he t- basically takes the very long way to get to his next destination. Okay, this would be like going to uh, Lakeland from here to get to Anna Maria Island. Okay? Like if you're going to Lakeland to get to Anna Maria, that would make no sense. Right? This is like what that would be. And I think it's approximately right in mileage. So I was trying to figure that out. Um, so she goes way, or he goes way the other direction, then comes back over and across the other side of the Sea of Galilee and to the region of the Decapolis, okay? <clears throat> Verse 31, he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. Again, you don't go through Sidon to get back to, anyway, that, that's what I just explained. Uh, to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So the very short verse, but it's a lot of mileage, okay? Um, so he gets to the region of the Decapolis and, uh, okay, yeah. So he's back in the region of the Decapolis. Anybody remember what happened in the Decapolis last time we were there? Anybody remember what happened in the Decapolis last time we were in the Decapolis? This is like bonus star point if you know the, okay. We've heard of the Decapolis before. Any guesses? No? Okay. The Decapolis is the place of the Gerasenes. Does that ring a bell? The Gerasenes. Okay, the man named Legion, right? So the man named Legion, when they went across the, they went across the Sea of Galilee once, they got over there to the, the region of the Decapolis and the Gerasenes, and a man from the hills comes out to him and, and is screaming and like, crying out and falls at Jesus' feet, and he heals him uh, of this demon. He actually names the demon, says it's Legion, for we are many, okay? And you might remember the story, he, as it goes through, he walks through, this guy is healed of these demons, and at the end of it, he moves the demons into the pigs. The pigs go into the water, right? And, uh, and, the, and the man comes to Jesus when they're leaving because the people are saying, get out of here. You just killed a thousand pigs. You know, like that's our living. Um, and so he goes, uh, goes to Jesus, this man, and says, take me with you, please. Like, I got to get out of here. I, I want to follow you. I want to go where you're going. And this is his response in Mark the 5, verse 19 to 20, he says, And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The man with the demon obeyed the command of Jesus to go and evangelize his entire region. Okay, that's what happened last time We were in the Decapolis. Now, here they've returned to the Decapolis, and the environment has changed in terms of its relation to Jesus. Here, as well as in Mark chapter 6, verse 53 and 56, the people of this region are looking for Jesus now. Okay, this is another Gentile stronghold of the the area. Um, And these people have been transformed. They're They've heard the good news of Jesus, and when Jesus is in town, they're looking for him. In 6, verse 53 to 56, they walk over there, and he can't even, like, stay there very long because they're bringing so many people to him that they're reaching out to touch his garment, and they're being healed, okay? That's what's happening in the the region the last time we were there. Now he comes back again, and in verse 32, it says, They brought him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and and they begged him to lay his hand on him. They were looking for him. As soon as he got back to the Decapolis, this this region is saying, that Jesus guy is back. 
let's go and, you know, meet with him. And they bring this man who's deaf and, and uh, has a speech impediment. They beg him to lay his hand on him. And this is, like, perhaps one of the weirdest miracles in terms of its, like, execution that, <laughs> that I remember, okay? Mark 7, verse 33. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. This guy's not gone through COVID, for sure. He does not know what this is. This is not social distancing. This is not appropriate touching, okay? This is not good. Put your fingers in your ears, spit on your hand, and wipe it on your tongue. This is a recipe for spreading germs. Um, okay. So he takes him aside privately, puts his fingers in his ears, spits on his, uh, spits on his hand, and, and touches his tongue. Okay, just so you know, it's not as crazy as you think for them. Uh, the, in some cases, the spittle from your mouth was considered to be a healing balm in some rituals. Okay, um, So it might be that in this case, with this man, this region kind of had that understanding that the application of spittle from a healer would actually be a healing balm, okay? So it's not as crazy as you, as you think, anyway. Um, and so he looks up to heaven and sighs and says to him, F-fa-fa, I can't do it, sorry. Um, that is, be opened. And as soon as he says that, his ears were open, his tongue is released, and he spoke plainly. This is the thing about how Jesus heals. Um, every miracle, and, and, and a, a number of things in the Bible, I think, um, the Lord doesn't give us a pattern on purpose. He, he doesn't line this out in a way that's like, okay, if you come across someone that's deaf, this is how you solve a deaf person's situation, and this is how the miracle operates. A plus B plus C equals healing of hearing, right? Like, you guys know, we love a system, we love a process, we love steps to follow, we are, we are into this, okay? We understand this. I can tell you exactly the steps to prepare a shot, put it in my espresso machine, steam milk. I, like, I know the process. I can teach it to you. It is a process that is developed. You cannot mess it up. If you mess it up, you get a bad drink, okay? Like, that's, that's a thing, Like right? Any surgery has a process, right, to do. Uh, you know, accounting has a process. Everyone has a process that you have to walk through. And Jesus, every time in his miracles, does not heal the same way every time. He switches it up. He doesn't give us a formula to follow. Why is that? I think a big reason of it is, is that Jesus is personally touching people. He's not giving them a formula. He is understanding the person and the situation and their heart and going, you know what you need? You need me to put my fingers in your ears and me to spit on my hand and touch your tongue. That's what you need from me. And Okay, so total speculation as to why Jesus thinks that's what this man needs. I don't know for sure, okay? One thought I've had about this is that uh, this is a ritual. Like, people have done this type of healing process before. Healing gurus have done this. This is not unknown to them to put, put in, the, in the thing that's broken and, like, touch. That, that touching uh, to heal is not something that's foreign to them. But for this man, if he's ever had that done to him before, it hasn't worked. Okay, so it's possible that someone has tried this exact process on him. They've put their fingers in his ears, they put spit on their hand, they put it on his tongue, and it didn't work. Okay, so one possibility, again, 
The Bible doesn't give this to this. This is, this is Blake saying, not the Lord saying, okay? Just reading my interpretation of it is, okay, one reason he might do it this way is to let this man know it's not about this process. He's seen this process before. Someone's put their spit on him out and put it on his tongue and whatever, right? He has seen this happen before. He knows that people have tried this and it hasn't worked. But this time, Jesus says, be open. And this ritual that people have some sort of uh, sacramental connection to works. The commentator I've been reading on this says it this way. I think I've got this quote on here. Maybe. Next one? Next one? No? Uh, back. No, maybe no. Okay, maybe no. All right, fine. That's fine. It's not a thing it's there. Uh, the, it says this, the spittle, thus, the spittle thus seems to carry some sort of quasi-sacramental significance. The cure, however, is not affected by the material sign or the magical powers attached to it, but by Jesus' intimate compassion for this needy man by the authority of his word. He says, look, here, I'll do this little ritual for you. You've seen it done before, and it's never worked. And then Jesus says, be opened. And his ears are immediately opened. His tongue is released, and he speaks plainly. Jesus knows this man's heart, and the reason he's healing in this way is for this man's heart. Now, if it's because of how I explained it, I don't know. That's one possibility. Maybe there's another reason, but I do know this. Jesus' purpose in healing, the way he heals, is for the person to understand his lordship and have an opportunity to either respond to that lordship and follow or reject that lordship and go away. It's a calling for them to see that he is bigger than anything else you've ever seen. He's bigger than any quasi-ritual that you've ever done. Okay? You might do this and blah, 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 but this is actually going to work and your ears are open and now you can speak. All right, verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. <laughs> oh. But the more he charged them, more zealously they proclaimed it. The same problem he's facing among the Jews is the same problem he's facing among the Gentiles. The people want to see what's happening. They want to tell of this miracle. And the problem that Jesus is trying to avoid is that he doesn't want crowds to come just to see a show. He wants people to hear the gospel news he's trying to share. And so the impediment of the crowd in the book of Mark is that they always get in the way of actually communicating the message. So Jesus is saying, don't spread this like crazy. I don't want your uh, fervor and the uproar of the crowd. I want you to be able to hear actually what I'm trying to say to you, which is the time is fulfilled. <laughs> the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. This is what I want you to hear. I don't want you to see, oh, here's a guy that can heal people's ears. He can cast out demons. He can, you know, do whatever. He can make the blind see. That's amazing. And he does it in a personal and amazing way for every person that he touches. But what he wants to be sure of is that the people in this area can hear the good news of the gospel. And so they don't listen. They, they zealously proclaim what, uh, what's been told or what's been done. Verse 37 says, they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute 
spin. Okay. Um, so some really good stories. This is like this is this is fun. Um, some things to take away, um, and hopefully, hopefully my thoughts uh, come across clearly. Um, first, this: love your enemies. That may feel like that comes out of nowhere, but love your enemies. In Matthew and in Luke, we have the recording of Jesus teaching. Um, on the mount or on the plain, wherever you want it to be, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things he teaches is love your enemies, okay? The world says that you should hate your enemy. I say love your enemy. Mark doesn't record that teaching from Jesus, but he does record this, which is a situation where Jesus and his disciples go to the region of their enemies, okay, Tyre, their bitterest of enemies, says Josephus, okay? Goes to their city and has compassion on the people there, on this woman who is in a frail state, who has enough faith to say, all I need is a crumb. Love your enemies. I don't know who your enemy is today. Uh, we, we, man, whew, feels like we got a lot of enemies in our world, okay? All over the place. Enemies within, enemies without, Enemies in the country, enemies out of the country, enemies in our household, enemies out of our household. And it, like, it feels like we're in a place of such divisiveness right now. And I would challenge you in a culture that is thriving on divisiveness, is like longing to stir up this pot of division. Jesus' teaching, remember Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching is love your enemies. There's some enemies in our world. You can define that however you want, okay? I've got some enemies. I, I, yeah, I've got some enemies, okay? <laughs> I know I've got some enemies. Uh, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, anyway, I, uh, I do not want to talk about that. Uh, I've got some enemies. Let's just leave it at that, okay? I've got some enemies. And I, I've learned this, okay, uh, that I've got enemies. Um, they're out to get me, man, I tell you. Um, no. Anyway, we're talking, we're talking, talking, talking about later. Yeah, no, not, I'm not talking about Sooners. I'm, I'm actually I'm talking about real enemies. Anyway, uh, <laughs> moving forward. Okay, uh, we got enemies. Okay, God calls you to love those who the world would say are your enemies. Jesus should not be up in Tyre. He's the Messiah of Israel. He should not be in Tyre and Sidon. He goes to them. He find, goes to find respite and rest in Tyre. And while he's there, he actually continues to minister and have compassion on the people that are there. Jesus says to love your enemies. So I don't know what enemy you're struggling with. I mean, it might be spiritual, might be actual, might be your neighbor, might be your spouse, might be your boss, might be like whatever your enemy is right now. Okay, God's command to you is to love them. That's not easy. It's, it's not easy. Okay, it is okay to disagree. It is okay to have uh, of very different opinions and very different paradigms of life and, and all that. It's totally okay to be different from one another. But what's not okay as a follower of Jesus is to hate your enemy. It's not okay. God says, actually, you are to love your enemies. Why? Because you once were an enemy, and God, while you were an enemy, died for you. 
gave his life on a cross while you were still an enemy of the cross. Okay, so if his love and compassion goes beyond the fact that you have ignored him your whole life until this point when he encounters you and says, I give you grace because you follow me, then woe is me if I look at my enemy with hatred. I know you've got people that that you disagree with, that you're in fights with, that you are divisive from or whatever, or the world even says that of you, whatever, okay? I know there are enemies in your life that you can label. Do not encounter them with hate. Encounter them with love. Love your enemies. Second, related to that, do not judge what God can do when someone hears the word of Jesus and responds. Do not judge, okay, what someone can do when they hear the word of Jesus. This woman should not respond to the Messiah of Israel, but she does, okay? And most likely, she turned out the same way as the demoniac in the garrisons and went and told everybody what happened to her daughter and how her daughter was healed by this man, Jesus, who came to the country of Israel to save Israel, but actually poured out his blessing on her. Okay, Jesus is the Savior of the nations, all the nations. So your culture may tell you something about what you're supposed to expect when you see somebody, you know, wearing the other team's jersey or whatever. OU fan, okay, yeah, right? Some expectations I should have about that, you know? But you have to love. Do not judge what Jesus wants to do with the person that the world is saying is your enemy. Just speak Jesus. Be Jesus. Serve like Jesus to them. Because the good news came to a woman in Tyre, a Syrophoenician woman who's an enemy of Israel, and she responded rightly and put her faith in Jesus and said, I just need a crumb. And something changed in her. And the good news came to a demoniac who was possessed by a legion of demons. And Jesus said, nope, you can't come with me. I know it would be a comfortable thing to do, but I need you to stay here and tell the people here what happened to you. Do not judge the demoniac that's in the hills, okay? He's in the hills scraping himself, tearing himself apart. Do not judge that Jesus' word can change that man and turn him into the first Gentile missionary that ever was. The gospel is good news for all nations. He didn't come to Israel to save and protect Israel in his day. He came to save the nations, okay? And we, amazingly, get in our heads that he came to save America today. No, they didn't. He doesn't care about the survival of America nearly as much as he cares about the continued growth of the kingdom of God. Okay, Mark is writing this letter to Rome when Rome is the empire in the region. Guess what? Rome as an empire does not exist. But the church Rome was persecuting when they did exist still exists. The kingdom of God has been advancing and is advancing because the kingdom of God is beyond a political faction but is a movement of followers of Jesus that look beyond their political affiliations and their enemies and love in the way that Jesus loved us. So let's not, let's love our enemies. Let's not judge what God could do with someone that we would call maybe our enemy. And let us remember that this gospel news is for everybody. 
We put this in front of everyone and say, you know what Jesus did for me when I was screwed up, messed up, jerk? He said, I give you grace. I actually died for you. And I've accepted that, that I was once this. And now, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done, I have full confidence that when I die, I'm going to be in heaven. Not by my righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus. That gospel is good news for all nations. So I challenge you this week, um, remember this. Jesus doesn't have a cookie-cutter approach to what he's doing in the kingdom of God. He's not out there trying to manufacture just like stamps of the same thing over and over and over again. He knows our hearts. He knows our location. He knows the people in this church. He knows the people in this community. He knows the people around you, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors. He knows us personally, the giftings that he's given us. And he also knows the needs that are around us, okay? It's pretty simple, right? He's called us, who've been gifted uniquely, to uniquely reach out to those he's put around us. To take the time to say, I think God's telling me to tell that person something. I usually uh, don't like to talk to them, but Holy Spirit says I should go up to Tyre and Sidon and speak to this individual. That's a figurative thing. You don't have to go to Tyre. Okay. You guys get that right? Okay. Maybe it's across the cubicle. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. Um, I need to go to them and, and just say something. Jesus doesn't have a cookie-cutter approach. He meets people personally. So it's incumbent upon us to look around in our world and say, God, how do you want to use my giftings that are very personal that you've given me to those that you've put around me? Um, how do you want to speak to the people you've put around me? It's not about just giving them a track. Hey, you know, I was thinking about you. Have this track, you know? No. No, get to know a person. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them where they're at. Ask questions and get to know somebody. And you know what? God's going to give you some wisdom and some direction from Holy Spirit about how you can speak the word of the kingdom of Jesus to them. Say, you know, I know you're struggling with this, but let me tell you the most important thing in life is that you know where you're going. Okay? And I'll tell you, Jesus came and he fulfilled all the Bible says about what the Messiah should be. And his kingdom, as he went on earth, it was it, it was amazing. Everywhere he went, he was healing people at his touch. And his call to us is this, very simple, repent and believe. You got some stuff that's wrong in your life, and, I, and so did I. But acknowledge it, repent, and believe in the one that can save you, Jesus. Let's be like Jesus and love our enemies. Let's not judge what he could do with a Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenician woman, or a, a legion uh, demoniac from the Gerasenes, okay? Jesus has a plan for those we would write off in our culture's understanding of things. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful uh, for your example, the example of Jesus and how he so lovingly uh, ministered everywhere he went and God, uh, I just feel so weak sometimes. Uh, we, we just don't see, we get so complicated about, uh, about how things ought to be and if we're doing things right. But God, you, you have called us, you've equipped us, you have, uh, you have uh, prepared us for the places that you've put us. And 
God, the, the world may look around at, at our, you know, little circles and say, well, that person should be your enemy and that person should be your friend and that person should be, you know, whatever. God, help us to have the eyes that see all people the way you see all people and just put the message of the kingdom of God in front and share this love that you so graciously poured out upon us. Help us not be people that judge uh, how someone might respond before we give someone the opportunity to respond. God, give us uh, a, a boldness and a, and a vision um, to listen to Holy Spirit when Holy Spirit wants us to speak a word and say something and challenge somebody and share the gospel and, and, and uh, encourage someone and love on them, whatever it is, God, whatever you're calling us to do, like, give us ears to hear and a heart to understand what you want us to do with what you've so graciously poured out in our heart. God, we want to see our enemies come to know Jesus. Because he's our only hope. We want to love those who our world says are enemies the way you did. To recognize, God, that we were once your enemy. And in spite of that, you died for us on a cross. We'll be forever grateful and forever sing your praise. Lord, search our hearts. Search our souls. God, give us eyes to see what you've placed around us. God, strengthen us because we don't have enough strength in ourselves. Help us to walk not in our strength, but in yours that your kingdom might continue to advance beyond the borders the culture says it should have. Lord, this woman came and, or these people came with this deaf man and begged. They begged Jesus for healing. God, give us hearts that would, would beg to come before you and, and cry out for the nations, cry out for our churches in this area, who cry out for our neighbors who don't know you, who cry out for our coworkers who don't follow you. God, help us to beg. Give us a heart that is your heart, God. We're so caught up in the busyness of our lives. Help us to walk in your timing, God, and have your compassion 
be willing to be disrupted that our kingdom might be set aside for a minute and that your kingdom might advance powerfully. We pray this all in Jesus' name.